Hey, good morning. I figured I'd follow up and give you a bit more detail on my bike ride this summer and give you a little bit of an update. So anyhow, here's a slightly more scripted version of my two-day ride across Massachusetts. And uh, this time I scheduled it as a four-day adventure. I'm getting better at this as I get older. So this is one of those things you learn from doing a lot of these long, hard, multi-day ultra events. You have to give yourself some buffer time. And I have always violated this rule, partly because my life has always been pretty busy. Or at least, you know, I've convinced myself that it has been busy. And I had to rush back to get to, you know, I had to rush to these events, do them, and then rush back. God forbid I should waste a half a day. So I've always been that guy who does an event, jumps on a plane, flies home. And I've always tried not to be that guy, the guy who talks too much about this stuff at work. And I realized early on that, you know, this is my obsession and the rest of the world may or may not give a shit about it. So with all this running and riding and stuff, I try to keep it pretty quiet at work. And I've been more than willing to talk about it in depth when asked, like any other runner or athlete, or in this purpose-built forum of Run Run Live, um, which I built for that outlet. But I've always taken pains not to be that guy in the office, you know, that guy. So, and it doesn't matter whether it's running or whatever, right? That person who, like, wants to tell stories all day at work. So as a result, most of the people that I've worked with, you know, they have this vague notion that I train all the time. But they seldom have the gift of knowing exactly what or when I'm doing as an event. And that vagueness allows work activity to crowd around the events. And I found myself running a marathon in the morning, jumping on a plane in the afternoon. I think it also fits my own ego, egoistic self-image. I guess so. Egoistic? Is that a word? I thought it was egotistic. Hmm. Egoistic self-image that I have of being this indestructible man that can pop in and out of events that other people can't even fathom. So even my acts of humility are tinged with egocentricity. There are advantages to not buffering time around an event, to just jumping in and jumping out. If you show up just in time for the event, you know, it doesn't give you much time to think too much about it. And you can get much more adventure in the day by not being prepared, not knowing the course, etc. Uh, just show up. It does fit, you know, my brain. It doesn't fit a lot of other people's brains, but I enjoy the adventure of it. Because the adventure is what's important for me, not really the other stuff. If you jet off after the event, well, you don't have time to wallow in your misery either. But there's several disadvantages. You know, there's disadvantages to cramming in events, especially big events. They are, there are many. They are many-fold. And you can make mistakes that you could have avoided just by being a little bit more prepared. Like, for instance... Not thinking about how the temperature drops below freezing in the mountains at night. Yeah. And most regretfully, you don't really get a chance to let it sink in. So many of those races I've run are just blurry memories of a fast weekend spent somewhere doing something hard. Just another blurry image. And I found that no matter how good a shape you're in, a multi-day event, one of these really hard events, it'll mess with your with your ability to think and it's best to take a day off after because you're going to be useless from a mental point of view 
uh, anyhow. So that's one of the things I learned. So for this ride, I took four days off to ride around 250 miles in two days of riding. So I took a day buffer on either side. And it's summertime, right? And of course, I enlisted my wife to crew for me. And I suppose this is one of the advantages of having a long relationship. You can just casually drop something like, hey, uh, take Friday and Monday off. We're going to go out to Western Mass and uh, you're going to follow me while I ride across the state for two days. And uh, that sort of thing just doesn't end the relationship, right? So day one was Friday. We got up and I took Ollie down to the local kennel when it opened at 9 a.m. This was Ollie's first time being kenneled. So it was a bit like first day of school for your kids. I had this pang of sadness driving back to my house in my truck with the passenger seat empty. And uh, I had done my best this week leading up to the event to get all my stuff organized, all the stuff I needed. Because you know how you think about it, right? You fill your bags and your bottles and all that stuff. And we drove out to Western Mass, this really pretty section of Route 2, which is the main highway leading out into that part of the state. But it turns into, you know, a, a, a twisty, turny, two-lane blacktop as it goes through the mountains uh, into the Berkshires and the Mohawk Trail. And Western Mass is, uh, it's a pretty place. It's a touristy place, all hills and farms and little towns, you know, much like those same little towns that you'd find in Vermont or New Hampshire or Oregon or California, you know, when you get in the back country. Yeah, it's a bit of a tourist trap because it's pretty close to Vermont, New York, and, and Mass, so you get a lot of the city traffic. But it's really pretty without being entirely off the map. And we took my the, the new truck, which um, we bought recently, and threw my bike in the back. So I prepped, like I said earlier in the week, I prepped my bike, I washed it, cleaned the chain and the derailers as best I could. You know, that's a messy, dirty job, and it requires using a degreaser and a toothbrush. Uh, so kids, you know, this degreaser chemical is very dangerous, so remember to wear your rubber gloves and your safety glasses when you're cleaning your bike chain with the degreaser and the toothbrush. There are chain cleaners. I don't own one. So once you get it all that chain all sparkly clean, you can rub a little bike grease back into it and uh, the chain and the sprocket. Everything spins nicely. It really helps with the efficiency of the drivetrain and keeps the shifting clean. Uh, you can ride on a dirty chain, but, you know, it's going to slow you down. Eventually, something's going to break. So uh, for, for my equipment that I hung all over my body, uh, first and primarily I wore my old North Face water backpack which has a nice big more than a liter bladder in it and has enough room enough pockets to carry all my tools food whatever else i need pretty comfortably and that old pack is like a second skin to me because i've worn it in many 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 ultras and other races had it for over 20 years now so i carry a small uh, multi-tool and a pump in case i get uh, something i can fix up real quick and in my underseat pack, I have a pretty good size underseat pack on that bike, on the motorbicane. I carry an extra tube, the levers, the patch kit, everything I need to, to swap out a tire. So I had one bike bottle uh, in the cage. I have one, one bottle cage on the bike, and I use that just for extra water uh, because I had the water pack. But, it, you know, on a long, long, long ride, you're going to go through all that water. And I actually found, I found this bike bottle. <laughs> I found it by the side of the road this summer. 
the day after the local triathlon, uh, somebody had popped it out of their cage and it was perfectly new from one of the local bike shops. And you may think I'm crazy and you would be correct, but I washed it out and it's fine. I prepped up enough uh, of another set of 24-ounce normal water bottles. I uh, mixed up with a scoop of Yukan for the ride. Um, so I put those in a cooler with ice, made some protein smoothies, you know, berry smoothies for, for sort of emergency meals and extra fuel and recovery if needed. Smoothies are always a good, easy source of clean calories, especially when you're traveling. The 24-ounce bottles, regular water, you know, you buy in the store plastic water bottles um, with you can mix. I stuck those, two of those, in the back of my bike shirt on both sides, so between the packs, so a bottle, pack, bottle. And this provide, provided me with uh, clean fuel and some electrolytes that I could sip as I went. And I know it sounds like a lot of stuff, but... It was really all the result of what I had learned in my training over the summer. So I knew I could get four plus hours of hard work in the heat with that setup. You know, more than enough. So a liter or so of clean water in the pack, a full bottle of water in the cage, and two uh, 24-ounce bottles of fuel in my shirt. And, you know, it may sound uncomfortable to carry, but it really isn't that bad on a bike. You've got the mechanical advantage. You can carry a lot of stuff comfortably. I stopped at a grocery on the way out and bought a, you know, a bag full of Cliff Bars and other edible type things. I also had uh, my favorite pitted dates. I put a few of those in a baggie and all this fuel went into the backpack as well. Then there were the electronics. I decided to use Google Maps with the bike route option selected, and this meant I would have to have my phone with me and it would have to stay charged. This is a challenge because having the maps open for navigation all day long drains your phone battery very quickly, especially when you're riding through the mountains in the middle of nowhere. And yes, it also uses a ton of data, so if you don't have an unlimited data plan, don't do this at home. The next question is, where do you put that phone when you're riding the bike? Well, when I was training, I started out by just putting the phone in a baggie and throwing it in my backpack, but that didn't work real well. It was a pain in the ass. You have to stop. You have to fish it out of the backpack to use it. So I bought a fairly inexpensive handlebar mount for it. It's basically a stretchy rubber cage that you attach right in the center of the handlebar, and then you clip the phone into that. And in this setup, it's awesome because the phone is right in front of your face, inches from your face, very easy to access. And if you get a wet day, you can put the phone inside a baggie before you put it into the holder. And the plastic bag makes it um, waterproof, but also makes it harder to use the touchscreen. So for my ride, uh, both days were sunny. I just mounted it au natural. And I bought... So the, the next question was how to keep the power... Uh, in the battery, right? How to keep this phone charged. This actual strategy I had not tested in training, but it worked out way better than I expected. I knew this was going to be a challenge, so I bought a pair of those charging bricks off of Amazon. Uh, they're about the size of a large, heavy phone, right? Those charging bricks. And I didn't know how long they'd, they'd last. I had had a plan to swap the charge brick out for a fresh one if needed in the middle of the ride. I put a charge brick, one of these charge bricks, under the seat in the under seat pack where I keep my, my extra tube and my 
levers in my patch kit. In there, I put this charge pack, and then I ran the cable out from there along the frame tube up to the phone in the holder. And at first, I thought I'd have to zip tie this whole rig together, but it wasn't, I didn't have to. I could just twist or snake the cable around the top tube, wrap it around the top tube in such a way that it was attached to the phone and the battery pack with no slack in between for me to catch my knees on. And it worked great. I didn't, like I said, I didn't know if this pack would give me 30 minutes of juice or 30 hours of juice. Uh, that's why I got two of them. I figured I could hot swap them out when I met Yvonne someplace during the ride. But as it turns out, I had nothing to fear. Even with all that data being burned and with the J GPS and radio on the whole time, the charge pack kept the phone at 100%, barely made a dent in the charge pack. Now, to make all this work, to tie it all together, I had my earpods, which are MIFO earpods. And these are little wireless earpods that I trained in all summer. They fit snugly in the ear, and most of the time they don't fall out. Um, <laughs> that's another story we'll get to on day one. And I had uh, both the stereo headphones and, and the microphone in these ear earplugs, so you can actually talk with them in as well. And it was a great setup because I would listen to podcasts and audiobooks all day long. I had my phone right in front of me so I could even skip commercials. I could also make and receive phone calls without even slowing down. And the Google Maps lady was giving me the turn-by-turn -turn voice commands the whole time. So I never got lost. And it was awesome. So besides that, <laughs> I did have clothes on, right? Had my bike shirt, uh, the Drury Inn bike shirts that Eric gave me and I wore my just a normal pair of bike chamois shorts with my Under Armour sports undies. I lathered up all the risky bits and the pointy bits and my undercarriage with squirrels nut butter which I had left over from my last ultra campaign and it really works great as an undercarriage loop. Um, I still got pretty sore down there but it you know there were no uh great big gaping wounds. So I also wore a knee sleeve on my left knee, which is the one that has been giving me trouble. I also had my Garmin 235 watch. Uh, without the chest strap, I don't really need to know my heart rate with that much precision when I'm riding the bike. It never gets anywhere near max. And that was my setup. So the question is, going into this, how did I feel, right? Was I nervous? No, not at all. I was pretty confident I could do it. As a matter of fact, I chose to do this because I knew it would be sort of low-hanging fruit and I needed a win uh, after struggling with my knee all year. So, you know, I kind of set myself up to succeed. Of course, something could always go wrong, but it wasn't something that was going to beat me physically. Uh, it wasn't that much of a stretch. And I was super happy. You know, I was happy to be off on an adventure. It was a nice break in the summer to be out spending some time out of my home office with my wife, riding around, having a little adventure. So I was pretty excited about it. So Friday, we got out there, took the nice scenic ride out to North Adams. And we got there in the afternoon. And after, you know, we drove around a little bit, had a nice lunch, looked at North Adams, Williamstown, Williams College, had an early dinner. And I set the alarm for 5 a.m. And then Saturday morning, I got up with the alarm, made a cup of coffee, the sun wasn't going to uh, come up until closer to 6, 
but I, uh, I, I was making uh, room coffee, the little packets they have in the room in the dark, and I mistakenly had a cup of decaf before I realized my mistake, which could have been fatal. I would have been having migraines by 10 o'clock and wondering what was wrong with me, but I figured that out and got myself a, a cup of real coffee. Then I loaded up all my stuff and woke up my wife to drive me to the starting point, and I'll cover the ride in a subsequent episode. So here's another, we'll, we'll transition now, I'll give you the rest later, but here's a quick update for you on where I am with my fitness journey. So after my long ride across Massachusetts, I took some time off from the bike, a couple weeks off, but the way I'm designed, I really need to have something to do, I need structure. So I decided to take on a bodybuilding campaign, which is what I'm a couple weeks into right now. Why, you may ask. Well, as usual, I listened to the universe, and I found the universe was was talking to me a lot about weightlifting and bodybuilding. I, I discovered myself watching the old weightlifting documentary, Pumping Iron, one night. So if you haven't seen it, you should. I think it's on Netflix. It's not really about weightlifting or even bodybuilding. It's really a story about the dynamics of competition and the weird Machiavellian mind of Arnold Schwarzenegger. And then on a whim, I was thinking about this. Like I said, the universe was talking to me. I reached out to an old social media acquaintance, Brian from Chicago, who always posts stuff about bodybuilding. And I asked him if there was a good introductory program I could try. And he pointed me to a book by Kyle Hunt called Bodybuilding for Beginners that has a 12-week introductory program. And I also have a gym membership that I had put on hold for the summer that was starting up again on September 1st. So I said, hey, it's all lining up. And I decided to do the 12-week bodybuilding program starting on September 1st. So day one would be September 1st, September 1. So what are my goals? Well, you know what? My simple goal is to follow the program, right? Follow the 12-week program, see what happens. Build some muscle, have some structure in my workouts, and that's it. Simple daily goals. Those are the best goals. So as of today, I'm 12, day 12, 13 days in. So far, so good. Got a bit of soreness in my right shoulder. Uh, I need to keep an eye on that, but everything else is okay. And this program is four days a week of lifting. It's evenly split between legs, abs, chest, and arms, upper body. And I'm learning some new exercises and some new technique. The leg work is interesting because I never really have done leg work at the gym. Not with weights, anyhow. I've always saved my legs for, you know, running and stuff. And curiously, my knee is actually feeling good, not worse. It's feeling better from these uh, leg workouts. So that's surprising me. The workouts do have this five-minute cardio warm-up as the first thing when you get there. When you start the workout, you have to warm up for five minutes. And I start doing a little jogging on the treadmill. Uh, the knee is pain-free, but I can still feel that dead spot in there. There's still something going on in there, especially when I'm hiking. Uh, and it does make a bit of a clicking noise when I'm climbing stairs and stuff. So one of the things on my agenda this fall is to get back to the knee guy and see if there's any new diagnosis I can work with. You know, if it's clicking, hey, maybe there's something structural in there we can scope out. 
Uh, my nutrition is not good, not great right now. I've been drinking way too much beer, eating too many carbs, and I'm super heavy. And I'm sure the weightlifting program, <laughs> as it gets more intense, I'll switch to a more protein-heavy diet, see if I can lean up a little bit. So I'm going to be 60 in November, and I'm in a weird place. I need to figure out how much longer I'm going to, you know, I'm going to actually work and what that means. Uh, it's really a time of sort of reset and reevaluation for what the next couple of decades will mean to me and what I hope to get out of it. And honestly, it's been hard for me to record for Run Run Live, you may have noticed. Uh, I still have to figure out what I want to do with all the old shows and everything for this show. I did redo the website just to clean it up a little bit, make it more stable and current. Uh, I hope you're all well. I think the one thing we can all do is, you know, just show up with a smile every day and try to help each other because you never know. You never know who you're going to make an impact on. So be careful with those interactions with people. So, you know, try to be a gift to the world. And I'll try to be better at communicating with you all as well. And maybe, just maybe, We'll see you out there.